Hello, this is Brent Martin, Pastor of Chesbro Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to the podcast this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of a Sunday morning series called The Original Christmas Playlist. This is the second message in that series, and this is Zachariah's song. We'll be preaching these all the way up through Christmas, and uh, please enjoy. Uh, we started a new series last week called the original Christmas playlist and these are songs about the birth of Christ the coming of Christ and uh, last week we had Mary's song and this week we're gonna do Zacharias's song so Zacharias's song is what we'll be talking about this morning leading up to Christmas time and uh, Luke chapter 1 and uh, we're gonna begin reading in verse number 67 and we're going to read down to verse number 75. So follow along with me as I read. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up upon a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zacharias' song. Let's pray. Your gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for the message this morning. I pray that you'd be with us as we listen to your word, and I pray that you'd be with our hearts. May we be open and, uh, and receiving the word of God this morning. May you do something special in this service. Precious in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Now, Zacharias was a priest, and uh, something, something very, very special happened to Zacharias when he was a young man. When Zach Zacharias was a priest, but then he, he married a woman that was the daughter of a priest. So Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest. Now this, was, this is a rare and wonderful thing because Elizabeth knew the demands that a priest had washing her dad. And so she knew uh, what, what the demands were. Uh, she knew how to act in certain ways what he needed to do his job, that she was there for him. She helped him perform his, uh, perform his service by helping him at home. And, and so uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth got married. Now, like all newlyweds, one of the things, uh, like most newlyweds, one of the things that they were looking forward to, especially because they were Jewish, is they were looking forward to having children. They were looking forward to having children because uh, they, they wanted to pass something on. And in their culture, uh, it, was, it was expected that she would have children. And so they tried and they tried and tried. But then eventually they came to the realization that they could not have any children. I'm sure this was very sad for them. And I'm sure that uh, they, they didn't particularly care for it. And it probably took them some time to to. To, for that to sink in, but I'm sure over time they came to grips with the fact that they just weren't going to have any kids. Well, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they lived and, and, and they grew older and older. And we come to this part in our story now. 
just to set the scene a little bit for you, Zacharias at this point in his life that we're going to talk about, he was already a card-carrying AARP member, okay? He was already drawing his Social Security if they would have had some, okay? So he, uh, he's at that stage in his life, and he gets picked uh, for, for temple duty. Now, uh, this, was a, this, was, this was an important day for him because you don't always get picked for temple duty. It only happens every few years. And not only was his name drawn for temple duty, but his name was drawn for offering of the incense. Now, this was even more special. Offering incense in the temple was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So this was probably one of the most important days for Zacharias. This was a day he was looking forward to. This, is, this was good for his, his career, and this is what he wanted to do. And man, this was a very high honor that not only did he get picked for temple duty, but he got picked to offer the incense. So Zacharias got the incense and he entered the temple and he began, began to offer it. And while he was offering that incense, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Gabriel, you and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And, and Zacharias kind of looked at him like a calf looking at a new gate. He's like, he's going to do, we're going to do what? You know how old we are? We're going to have a baby? And he started to doubt what the angel was saying. And so Gabriel looked at Zacharias and said, you know what, since you doubt, you're not going to be able to speak a word until the baby's born. When Zacharias walked out, he could not say a word. He could not speak, utter one word. Elizabeth, Elizabeth got pregnant and she, had the, she was great with child and she, she carried the baby to term and then she had the baby and as they were holding the baby, they were asking her, what are you going to name her? What are you going to name him, Elizabeth? What are you going to name him? And uh, she looked up and said, oh, we're going to name him John. And they looked at her like crazy, like John, there are no Johns in your family. Why not name him Zacharias Jr.? Why you got to name him John. So they looked at Zacharias and said, hey, what do you think the name should be? Somebody get him a pen and a piece of paper. Somebody get him a pen and a piece of paper let him write it down. And you know what he wrote down? He wrote down John. Now, as soon as he wrote down John, his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak. And this, what we read earlier, is what poured out of his mouth whenever the Lord loosed his tongue and he began to speak. What did he speak about? When he started to talk, also just like Mary's song, this comes out in song form. So this song that he's reciting or singing, uh, what's it talking about? He's talking about the coming Messiah. That's what he started talking about. He started talking about the coming Messiah. So I have, uh, today, I want to focus on what he focused on. We're just going to focus on the part that about the coming Messiah, because that's what's the because Christmas is about Christ. So Zechariah had three things that that the coming Messiah would bring. These are three things that the coming Messiah is going to bring, because that's what that's what Zachar, what came out of Zacharias when his tongue was loose. And so we're going to go through these verses this morning, and we're going to see what these three things are that the Messiah is going to bring with him when he comes. The first thing this morning I'd like to tell you that the coming Messiah is going to bring, the coming Messiah, uh, Zechariah said, the coming Messiah is going to bring a saving purpose. 
a saving purpose. Let's read verses 68 and 69 of this chapter of Luke chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, this hymn right here that Zacharias speaks. This is known as the Benedictus, okay? The Benedictus has been read at the end of Christian services for centuries, and that's what this is, okay? See, Zechariah, Zacharias, he is a, he's a priest, okay? He's a priest, and so this reads like a priest would speak. This reads like a priest would, would, would talk. Now, just like Mary's song, we know that Mary, when she opened her mouth, she, when she was filled with the Spirit and opened her mouth, what came out? The Word of God. Zacharias, when he was filled with the Spirit and he opened his mouth, what came out of his mouth? The Word of God. Are you hiding the Word of God in your heart? When the Holy Spirit fills you and you get filled with the Spirit of God, what, what needs to come out of you? The Word of God. How can the Word of God come out of me and you if me and you are not hiding the Word of God in our heart? That's what we should do, is we should hide the Word of God in our heart because one day, let me tell you something, you're going to need the Word of God. One day you're going to be somewhere and something's going to happen to you and, and, and you're going to need God and, and you say, well, where are you at, God? Where am I at? Where were you? When it was time to read the Bible, where were you at? I've got the instructions in there. I've got in there what you need to do. How come you weren't reading it? See, if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we got to get in the Word of God. So when he opened his mouth, what came out of him, what came out of him was the Word of God, just like Mary. Now, let's look at this phrase here in this verse. It says, for he hath visited. Let me ask you a question. Does 400 years sound like a long time? It does sound like a long time. You know why? Because 400 years is a long time. Do you know 400 years, that's how long it had been since God had spoken to his people Israel. That's how long it had been. It had been 400 years. For 400 years, they had been in the dark. The last time God spoke to them was through Malachi. And the last words that God spoke to them before this 400-year silence are found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Let me read it for you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with, with a curse. Now, it's saying that Elias, the Elijah is going to come uh, before Christ is going to come. Okay? So this, this prophecy is about John the Baptist. It's a, when it says Elijah's coming, what it's talking about, it's talking about John the Baptist. Now, here, here, now here's a question. Does that mean that John the Baptist is reincarnated Elijah? No, it doesn't. couple reasons. Number one, Elijah's not dead. Elijah was taken. He was taken in a whirlwind by, in a chariot up in the heaven. He never had to see death. He's the second oldest living person ever to be. You know who the first one was? was Enoch. Enoch's the oldest. But Elijah's up in heaven, and Elijah's alive today. He, he never had to taste death. He's alive in heaven today. Hey, so it can't be the reincarnated Elijah because Elijah is still alive. Second, the Bible says that it was the spirit and power of Elijah that John used. 
Okay? Let me read for you Luke 1, 17. And these shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this prophecy in Malachi is about John the Baptist. So from Malachi to John the Baptist is 400 years of silence. But then God finally stops the silence. God finally starts to begin to talk to his people, and he does that through John the Baptist. Keep reading the verse. The next phrase says, and redeemeth his people. Now, how would he redeem his people? I'll tell you how he'd redeem his people. He would pay their ransom. Redeem here is a word that refers to the payment of a ransom. A ransom is something that when a, when a prisoner of war is taken prisoner, the payment to release that prisoner of war is their ransom. That's how he's going to redeem us. He is going to pay our ransom. And uh, in 2009, two journalists, uh, their names were Una Lee and Laura Ling, they were American journalists. They were doing a story on North Korean refugees. They were in China. They were doing this story on North Korean refugees, and they accidentally crossed over the border into North Korea. And of course, they were picked up. Um, they were picked up by the North Korean military. They were tried as spies and sentenced to 12 years apiece in a hard labor camp just for stepping foot in North Korea. Charge his spies. Laura, she had the option. They said, you can write one letter to one member of your family. Laura Ling, she, she was interviewed by none other than Kim Jong-il himself. And she had noticed when Kim Jong-il was interviewing her that she talked a lot about Bill Clinton. So when she wrote this letter to her sister, she had to write it in code. Because if she, if she wrote it, uh, she couldn't just come out and say what she wanted to say because the North Koreans are going to read it. She had to write it in a way that just her sister would know. So she wrote this letter in code to her sister. Her sister, Lisa, got it. Lisa is a, was a reporter for National Geographic at the time. So she got this letter and read it, and she understood what her sister was saying, and she used her strings at, at, North, at, the, at the National Geographic to get a hold of Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton went to North Korea and went and shook Kim Jong-il's hand. Now, Kim Jong-il, the reason why he liked Bill Clinton is because when his dad died, Bill Clinton was the first world leader to call him and give him condolences on the death of his father. Ever since then, Kim Jong-il wanted to meet Bill Clinton. So why did I say that? I said all that to say this, that those ladies were released, and you know what their ransom was? A handshake. That's all it was, was a handshake. That was all that needed to do to pay for their ransom. Let me tell you something. As sinners, we are bound to the punishment of the law. As sinners, we are bound to the punishment of the law. And let me tell you this, it's going to take a lot more than a handshake to pay our ransom. A lot more than a handshake. See, as soon as we are bound to the punishment of the law, why? Because God is holy. God is holy and the law is holy. So because the law is holy and because God is holy, God says this law must be honored. 
must be honored. There is no choice. The law must be honored. I am holy and the law is holy. It's got to be paid. This, this debt has got to be paid. There's no way around it. So what do we do? What did Christ do? Christ paid that ransom. He said, uh, okay, uh, Christ said, uh, but if something that can be given that is of equal or greater value, then this debt can be paid. Well, let me read this statement to you. This, listen to the words of this statement. The infinite Christ took a finite punishment so that finite man could live infinitely. Okay? He paid. That's how he redeemed us is he paid our ransom. Next phrase. Let's look at verse number 69. It says, And it hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, the symbolism of the horn here, it comes from Psalms 132.17. It's used to represent the house of David. Let me read for you that verse. There will I make the horn of David to bud, and I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. That verse right there is about Christ. Okay? Uh, so uh, the horn, it represents the house of David. But not only that, the horn is a, a sign of strength. Now, I grew up around cows. Uh, my papa had cows all my life. And I don't care about a cow. I'll go up in there and when it's time to corral those cows up, I'll poke them with a stick. I'll slap them on the hiney. I'll yell at them like I was Rowdy Yates. And I'll, I'll get those cows up and I don't care. I'm not scared of a cow. But if old Blue's in the pasture and old Blue's got that grill guard on top of his head, I'm, I know what side of the barbed wire fence I'm staying on. Okay? I'm, I'm not going to mess with Old Blue, okay? Old Blue can have the pastor all to himself. Why? Because when you mess with the bull, you get the what? You get the horns. You mess with the bull, hey, guess what? You get the horns. Hey, you know, uh, so Zacharias used this as a description of Christ to illustrate not only that Christ came from the house of David, but also that Christ was strong. We serve a strong Savior today. And that's interesting. It says the horn of salvation. You know, or in other words, a horn that can save. Did you know? Did you know that the Jewish altar had horns? Did you know that the Jew Jewish altar had horns that could save? Let me read for you 1 Kings 1, verses 50 and 51. Add, um, hold on a second. I've been practicing this name. Adonijah. Okay, there we go. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon saying, Behold, Adonijah feared King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let the King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. See, here's what happened. A fugitive could go up and a fugitive that was on the run, he could run in the temple and he could grab under the horn of the altar. And as long as he had hold of that horn, he was saved from the wrath of the king. We're fugitives. We're fugitives from sin. And all we have to do is grab hold of that horn. And once I grab hold of that horn, I'm free. I'm safe. I am safe from the wrath of the king. You see, that's why he's our horn. 
He's our horn because, hey, when you grab onto Christ, all those that flee to him are safe. We are safe today. So the first thing we have this morning is we have a saving purpose. That's what the Messiah is going to bring. He's going to bring a saving purpose. What's the second thing he's going to bring? The second thing he's going to bring this morning is a satisfied promise. He's going to bring a satisfied promise. Let's look at verse number 70. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. From the, let me tell you something, from the very beginning, I talked about this a few weeks ago, from the very beginning, it has always been about Christ. From the very first, ever since we heard that the, the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head, we heard about the Messiah. Enoch. Enoch was the seventh son of Adam, and even Enoch said he prophesied of the coming of the Lord. Way back before the flood, he prophesied about Christ. Christ was spoken about to Abraham. Hey, you know what? God spoke to Jacob about Christ and called him Shiloh under the name Shiloh. Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Moses foretold of him. Moses said, hey, there's going to rise up a, a, a prophet uh, out of the brethren like unto me, Unto him ye shall hearken. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about the Messiah that is to come. David spoke of him. King David spoke of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You read Psalms 22 and tell me that's not about Jesus Christ. David spoke about Christ. Isaiah, Isaiah he, 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 he prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin. Zechariah prophesied that he would walk into Jerusalem on an ass. And that's exactly what happened. To say nothing about all the others, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, all of these other people spoke of Christ. And you know what the funny thing is? The funny thing is that all these different accounts of Christ, all these different prophecies, guess what? They all line up. They all come together. They all make sense. Even though these men lived in different time periods. Jacob didn't go up to Daniel and say, hey, Daniel, what you going to write about Christ so I know what to put? They lived in different time periods, but yet all their accounts match and come together. Hey, we've heard about this from a long time. We've heard about this since the beginning of the world. Look at verse number 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and saved from the hands of all that hate us. Hey, the Jews had enemies. The Jews had the Romans as enemies. The house of Herod was enemy to the Jews. We have physical enemies today. We've got ISIS. We've got, uh, we've got terrorists out there. We've got liberal organizations that want to see us destroyed. Man, there's some organizations out in California that would bring a torch to this building if they could. Hey, we have physical enemies today, but we also have spiritual enemies. Satan is our enemy. His angels that do his bidding, his demons, they're our enemy. You know who else is our enemy? We're our enemy. We're probably our own worst enemy, our flesh. 
You know what else is our enemy? It's our sin. Our sin is an enemy that we continue to see. We have all kinds of enemies. We've got visible enemies and we've got invisible enemies. But what you see here, it says the hand of all. It says the hand. Why does it say the hand? Because the power is in the hand. Let me tell you something. Make no mistake about it. Your enemies are powerful. Don't underestimate them. Don't think just because you're a Christian that you are untouchable. In fact, the second you underestimate one of your enemies will be the second you fall. I had a pastor who thought he had arrived. He thought that he would never that he could he could trust himself and that he could do things that he would he would tell other people, oh, when, when, when you meet with women, make sure there's, there's an open door and make sure uh, uh, somebody can see and, and, and make sure you be held accountable. But not me. I'm the pastor. I don't have to do that. You make sure you do that. Okay. Then he had an affair with a 16-year-old girl. He lost his church. He lost his family. And he's in penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia right now. Oh, yeah. Don't underestimate your you never we'll, we'll never get to the point where we arrive. We will never get there. Oh, Joel Osteen. This is my Bible. Joel makes me laugh sometimes. But you know what? Joel hadn't arrived. I don't care how big his church is and how many times he can fill it up on a Sunday. He's never arrived. No one will ever arrive. And get to the point where you can trust yourself. Not absolutely no one can. Why? Because we've got some powerful enemies. We do. We've got some powerful enemies. Verses 72 and 73. This is a, keep up with me here because this, is a little, this can be a little confusing. But I want to explain it to you. Verses 72 and 73. To perform mercy promised to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. There are three words in these two verses I'm going to point out to you. And there are these words. There's the word mercy, the word remember, and the word oath. Now, Zacharias is using here, he's using a play on words. Now, me and you can't tell that because we're reading it in English. You couldn't even tell it in the Greek. But if you could read it in Hebrew, what he was speaking at the time, what he was speaking at the time, he was speaking Hebrew. If you could read it in Hebrew, you'd be like, oh, I see what he's doing there. Okay. But what Zacharias is doing is he's using a play on words. See these three words, remember, mercy, and oath. They're actually the meaning of his, the names in his family. John's name means Jehovah's mercy. Zacharias's name means remembered by Jehovah. And Elizabeth's name means the oath of my God. See, what Zacharias is doing right there, was doing here, is he's putting all this together. This was Zacharias's, this was his eureka moment. He was like, oh, you know what, Elizabeth? I, I didn't pick my name. And Elizabeth, you didn't pick your name. And even God picked, picked this boy's name, but... 
But all our names together, it means that God's going to remember his oath of mercy. And, and, and our, it means that our family is here to fulfill the, 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 the will of God. And there's a reason for it. And God is going to fulfill his promise. And this was just Zacharias. He was coming to this realization. God is going to use our little family to fulfill this our oath of mercy to his people. To fulfill his promises. Because that's what Christ does. Christ fulfills promises. What we have here is we have a saving purpose. Next, we have a satisfied promise. And then finally, finally this morning, we have a service proclamation. A service proclamation. Let's read verses 74 and 75. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Look at that first phrase that says that we might serve him. Serve who? Serve the Lord God of Israel. The word service here it signifies a distinctly religious service. Okay, it's a service that 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 he's bringing to us here. First Peter two, five and nine says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What am I saying? When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was rent. The veil of the temple was torn, was torn down. It, it rent, it was tore right down the middle. Why? Because we didn't need it anymore. Why? Because you know who are our high priests? We didn't need a man as a high priest anymore. You know who are our high priests become? Our high priest became Jesus Christ. And we became priests under him. So you know what that means? That means I don't need a mediator anymore. I don't need a go-between. I don't need to go to a man and then the man go to God on my behalf. I can go directly to God. It's called the priesthood of the believer. And it is something that we believe the Bible teaches. We are all priests under the order of Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man, Jesus Christ. I can go directly to Jesus. I don't have to go through. I don't have to sit in a booth. I don't have to talk to Father Joe. No, I don't, do, I don't have to do that. I can go directly to Christ, okay? I am a priest in his order. I serve Christ now. That's my service. I serve him, I can go directly to him. So first we have a service, next we have the nature of that service. The nature of that service. It says in the verse, in holiness and righteousness before him. As a, now that I'm a priest in God's service, now I can walk in the service of God. He lives in me and I walk in the righteousness of his son. It says two words there. It says holiness and righteousness. Holiness is my relationship with God. Righteousness is my relationship with you. Okay? So holiness is my relationship to God. Righteousness is my relationship 
uh, with you, with man. You see, when you get saved, man should see a change in you. There should be a change. The old man, the old man is gone. Behold, you become a new creature in Christ. And when you accept Christ as Savior and you get saved, there's, you know, you, the works aren't required for salvation, but they should be visible. They sh there should be evidence there that somebody has saved. That's that righteousness part. But you know what else it says? Before him. It's one thing to have an outward appearance of holiness and righteousness. It is another thing to be righteous before God. See, right, see God pulls all those masks back. He pulls all the facade back and he sees on the inside. You have to be genuine with God. You can't be phony. You can be phony with me. Oh man, you can be phony with me and I'm pretty slow so you probably fool me for a long time but you're not going to fool God. You got to be genuine before him. You can't, you, can't, you can't be phony before God. So that's the nature. So now I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a priest in Christ. I have the service. I am to serve God. I can go directly to him. Now I need to serve him in holiness and righteousness. Not only righteous before men, but holy before God. And now I have freedom in that service. Here's the freedom in that service. It says that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. We are free from fear. I am free from the fear of Satan. Satan can't touch me unless God gives him permission. I am free from hell. I will never taste hell. I'll never smell hell. I'll never feel hell. I'll never know what hell feels like. I'll never be near it. I'll never hear it. I am safe from hell. I don't have to fear hell anymore. I don't have to fear this world. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I don't have to fear men anymore because they may hurt this body and they may persecute me, but one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I don't have to fear men anymore. And I don't have to fear death. Man, for the people of this world, death is it. It's just blank nothing. My Bible says, be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Could you imagine closing your eyes and opening them and seeing Jesus Christ? If you're saved, you've got that to look forward to. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Hey, you know what? I can do my job better if I'm not afraid. If I'm not afraid, I can do my job better. We were all afraid to get on that bike. Papa Obi told my boys if they learn to ride a bike, he'll buy them brand new bikes. And man, they got out there and they tried and man, they, they learned and they bought the bike and Papa got them the bikes. But you know, I remember when I was, I was, I was uh, learning to ride a bike, as long as my dad had that seat, I wasn't afraid because I knew he would hold me up, okay? Now eventually he did let go, but only after he knew I could handle it. You know, God is holding on to that seat, so I don't have to fear. And I know that even if God decides to let that seat go, God knows I can stay up on my own. Hey, and if I go to fall, guess what? 
He's going to catch me. He's going to catch me when I fall. See, that's the, so that's the freedom that we have to serve God. So we can serve God freely because God has taken away fear. So because you don't fear anymore, now go serve me because you've got nothing to be afraid of. And then next we have the finally this morning about the service. We have a duration of this service. The Bible, ver the, the verse says, all the days of your life. Your service for God is to expand until your death. It should always keep expanding. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm to be a living sacrifice. I'm not, not a dead sacrifice that's used once and is over. Every time I go to sleep and I open my eyes the next morning, I live to sacrifice myself for Jesus Christ. Why? Because I serve him. Let me ask you some questions this morning. Well, actually, let me ask you one question. Make a couple statements. Guess what? Number one, he will save you. He will save you. Most of you in here are probably already saved, but if you're not, God will save you because he has a saving purpose. Let me tell you number two, he's going to keep his promises to you. The promises in this book, He's going to keep them because he is a promise keeper. He satisfies promises. That's what he does. But here's the question I want to ask you. Will you serve him in return? You don't have to. You can get saved and go sit on your blessed assurance. And guess what? You'll, 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 you'll go to heaven. You will. But you'll be like that thief on the cross. He went to heaven, but when he got there, he didn't have anything. Or, even though you don't have to serve him, you can choose to serve him. Choose to serve God. Now, let me ask you a question. What's your ministry? Everybody needs to have a ministry. What are you doing for God? Are you just living for yourself? I get up and I go to work and I pay my bills and I cook supper and I mow the grass and I do all this stuff. Well, that's all great. That's all fine. And you should do that. But what are you doing for God? Are you serving him? Are you actively doing something? In a, you're a priest now. He's your high priest. You don't have to go through man. You can go directly to him. He saved you from hell. He took away all fear. But we're just going to sit around and not do anything for him. Man, find something to do for God. I don't care what it is. Find something. You don't know, what can I do for God? Ask somebody, what can I do? Do you have, because there's some place I can volunteer to do something. Hey, serve God. Because he didn't save us just to sit down. He didn't save us just to sit on the bench and warm. He wants us to play. He wants us to get out there. He wants us to, you know, throw the ball around a little bit. He didn't want us just to sit down and do nothing. He saves us. He keeps his promises to us. But are we serving him in return? I don't have to serve him to go to heaven. All I got to do is get saved. But man, after everything he went through for me and I'm not going to do anything for him, man, serve God today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I don't know what you need today. If you're in here today and you don't know that you're saved, if you'll come down to me during the invitation, 
I'll take a Bible and I'll show you how you can know that you're saved. But you know what? If you are saved, I want you to know that God made some promises to you. And he's going to keep his promises. He's going to save you from hell. He's going to save you from the hand of Satan. He's going to save you from this world. He's going to save you from death itself. Now, what does he want in return? Well, you don't have to do anything to get saved. That's free. He did that because he loves us. But you know what? Now he expects you to serve him. Are you serving him today? What are you doing to serve God? Do you have a ministry? Ministry isn't just for the preacher. Preacher ain't the only one that's supposed to have a ministry. Every single Christian should have a ministry. A place that they serve God. How are you serving God today? You're a priest. You belong to his order. He's your high priest. You walk in his service. But are you serving him? Maybe if you're not, maybe you should today ask the Lord, Lord, I don't have a ministry. Lord, I don't have a place that I serve. Show me what you want me to do. Lord, show me a ministry you want me to have. Show me a way that I can serve you because I'm so thankful you saved me. I'm so thankful I don't have to taste death and I don't have to taste hell. Thank you, Lord. Show me where I can serve you in return. Help me make my life a living sacrifice. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you bless the message today. I pray that you bless the people. Lord, help us all to have a ministry, a place of service. Because, Lord, you, you save us. You save us from hell. And, Lord, you keep your promises to us. But, Lord, we ought to want to serve you in return. Help us to find a place of service today. For in Jesus Christ's precious name, I pray. Please stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the music begins to play. You do what the Lord has laid on your heart.